Well, good morning, church, and those watching online. For those that don't know me, I am Nate Wheeler. I am a small group leader here, and it's my privilege to bring the message today. Um, We've been in a series, Unbelievable, Love Like Jesus. Um, I haven't been able to hear them all, so don't give me any uh, spoilers. Uh, I want to go back and listen to them all, but I'm sure they're all equally amazing. Um, Well, this morning, we're going to continue in that series, and we're going to start off with a video clip. So bear with me for two two minutes and 50 seconds, and we'll watch this video. It was almost time for the Passover festival, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. found people selling cattle, sheep, and pigeons, and also the money changers sitting at their tables. and the cattle. He overturned the tables of the money changers and scattered their coins. He ordered those who sold pigeons. Take them out of here! Stop making my father's house a marketplace! His disciples remembered that the scripture says, My devotion to your house, O God, burns in me like a fire. The Jewish authorities came back at him with a question. What? miracle can you perform to show us that you have the right to do this? Tear down this temple, and in three days I will build it again. Are you going to build it again in three days? It has taken 46 years to build this temple. But the temple Jesus was speaking about was his body. Whoa. Like, Jesus, you having a bad day, huh? Like, what's going on? You know, in, in Scripture, as we look through Scripture, um, you can find that story illustrated in Matthew and Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and it's an interesting story to read. What the heck? 
Like, you have indigestion? Did you get out of bed on the wrong side? Like, what is going on, Jesus? And if you look even further into Scripture, what's interesting is you find this. The money changers and the people selling the animals are actually commanded to be there. Right? They're commanded to be there for those people that had to take such a long journey, they couldn't take a sacrifice with them to the temple. The, the priests and everybody were commanded to have those things there so that they could then just buy a sacrifice and sacrifice it. So what is it in this illustration that Jesus is so upset about? Well, see, it's not just what you do that's important to God. It's how you do it. What is your motive behind doing it? See, these people read the rules and said, I can make money doing this. It's how I play most of my life. I can make money doing this. I turn all my hobbies into, ga- into money-making opportunities. Josh is laughing because it's very true. Um, and that's the way I play my game in life, right? I like to dig on machinery, buy machinery. Hey, I could hire this out, right? I take my Tonka trucks to your house. Um, I like to build things. Oh, I'll build additions for people. Right? I turn all my hobbies into a way of making money, and that's what they did. They said, we'll take your commandments and your rules and we'll twist them so that we'll make a profit doing what you've commanded us to do. And that's why Jesus' heart is turned. Now you have people traveling from afar, paying far beyond market value to change their money so that they can buy their offering so that just the religious organization can prosper. That's why Jesus is angry in this in this video, in these scriptures. And here's the tale into my message. Um, Jesus' love is sometimes unenjoyable, right? When God loves us, sometimes it's just not pleasant. We don't like it. See, Jesus wanted what was right in the house of the Lord, and the people that were there did not enjoy his love for God's house. All right, they, they weren't too thrilled with it. Uh, <clears throat> I had a, uh, a great aunt growing up, and she was the sweetest thing in the world. And she would make the best donuts you've ever had. I mean, they were to die for, literally. I mean, she cooked them in lard, so you can't eat too many of them, you would die. But anytime you went to see this great aunt, she's about four feet tall, and she'd pull you down, and she had, she'd give you a kiss, but it was not enjoyable because she didn't shave very often. And it was like razor blades on your cheek, right? It was an unenjoyable love. <laughs> Straight up. Sometimes God's love for us is just not enjoyable. We don't like what he's doing in us. Now, if you're, if you're really on the edge of your seat, now's the time to just like leave because I'm going to prove it. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> don't turn off the TV at home. Sit up, have a sip of coffee. So let's dive right in. I've never been one for holding back. We won't do it this time either. Romans 2, 4 through 5 says this. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and the restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. See, a good parent brings their kid to a place where they recognize what they've done wrong. Right? That's true repentance is when you 
Not only say sorry, not only don't do that action again, but you know the principle of why it was wrong to do in the first place. That's true repentance. God wants to bring us there. It's his kindness that pushes us through this uncomfortable place. right? Because as humans, let's face it, we don't like to admit we were wrong. We don't like to admit, especially that we sinned and wronged the Father in heaven. Right? But it's his kindness that brings us to repentance. But if we don't repent, there's something about a day of wrath. And I don't know what that is, but my philosophy in life is, why deal with it then when I can deal with it now? So I will go through what other uncomfortableness I have to go to, through on this side of earth, because when I get to heaven, I just want to party. And the day of wrath does not sound fun, so I want to be as little involved in that as possible. Um, so... So my philosophy is like, hey, let's yield ourselves, right? Hey, if repentance is what it takes to not have that wrath, let's do that. Because I know what it looks like when I have wrath, and he's a lot bigger than I am. Um, and I don't want it no part of that. So I just want to pause for a second. If God's heart for us is that we would seek repentance, and that we would lean into his guiding us towards it, then would you just mentally today start to prepare yourself? I want to give you a time to lean into this even more later in the message, but start to prepare yourself. Open your heart to, I want to lean into your repentance. I want to allow you to bring me where I need to be to see your heart for me in the areas that I need to repent. So let's just take a second. I want to pray into that for a second. Father, we thank you for your great love. You love us no matter what we do, Lord, but you are so good. You cannot leave us in our sin. You cannot leave us unrepentant, Lord. So begin to work in our heart, Holy Spirit. Draw us towards you and open our hearts to where you want to work in us, Lord. Help us to repent. Amen. I'm crying already. It must be good. Okay. Hebrews um, 12, 4 through 11. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which I, which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are punished by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines." And he, prune, uh, and he punishes every son whom he accepts. It is for, for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there who, is, who his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate child and not sons. Furthermore, we have... We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we repent, respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of Spirit and love? For they discipline us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for, for good, so that we may share in his holiness for the moment All discipline seems not to be pleasant, but painful. 
Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields peaceful fruits of righteousness. I should have kept up with these pages. See, he loves us so much that he disciplines us. And oftentimes, as believers, we say, God, I don't like that pain. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like what you're stirring within me. But the reality is, is the fact that he's stirring within you means that you are his child. Right? If you get to a point and you never feel the prompting and the pushing of God within your life to move forward, to move closer to him, you might want to consider... If you're not his child, right? An illegitimate child. You know the words, you know how the way to act, but you're not his. That's a scary, scary thought. So as much as I don't uh, enjoy being disciplined, there's a peace of mind knowing that because he's active in my heart, because he's prompting me and pushing me and prodding me to be a better me, He loves me and I am his. Right? There's a connection there between the two of us. One of my kids, when they were growing up, we had um, some discipline issue with him. And, well, that just gave it away, didn't it? Huh? Whoops. And we went went back and forth several times. And uh, there was no repentance. Just no repentance. And as a dad, I, I realized we're going back and forth. And I would, we'd go through a discipline process and we, we would encourage him that we love him, but this act is wrong and you need to repent and we're sorry. And this, this process was like two hours. And over and over again, we'll go through this process of discipline with him, explaining what he did, telling him you need to repent over and over and over and over until we got through. But the whole time, we were doing this, I remember saying, I'm doing this because I love you. I want what's best for you. I didn't necessarily enjoy it. I'm a little weird. I didn't mind it because I know the man that I want him to be, so I will embrace bringing discipline to my children. I know what they can be and what God wants them to be, so I will embrace good discipline in their life, even though I don't like it. I don't like watching my children be uncomfortable. I don't like having to push them away from their sin and towards what God has for them. But see, my discipline as a parent has nothing to do with their feelings. I don't care if they don't like me. I don't care if they say things like, I hate you, or your rules are stupid, or you don't let me do anything. I don't really care. Because I know who they are and who they can be and what God designed them to be as their father. And I want them to be that. So if they don't like me, tough. I wasn't here to be their friend anyways. I was here to be their father and to lead them into righteousness. I want to see my children grow up to love and serve the Lord. And that takes an effort from me, right? It doesn't just magically happen. That's the way God looks at us, right? He doesn't care if you don't like it. He doesn't care if you're yelling at him. He doesn't care if you're mad at him. He's going to do what is best for you regardless of how you feel about what's best for you. Uh, 
that's uncomfortable. That's unenjoyable, right? It's unenjoyable to embrace the fact that sometimes it takes pain to get to our destination. There is some good news about God's discipline. In Galatians 6, 1 and 2, it says this. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. See, as a church, oftentimes when we have sins, we like to hide them. We like to just put them aside, put them out of the way. And as God starts to stir them up, those that are spiritual within the church, those that lead within the church, which is all of you, everybody leads somebody. There is someone in your life you are responsible for. Just because you don't stand on a stage doesn't mean that there's not people that you lead. So let's get that just hammered in real tight, okay? Everyone leads somebody. And it is your responsibility when you see your brother or sister going astray to coach them back to God. Talk about unenjoyable love. I don't like going to somebody and be like, hey, dude, this is not good for you in your life. This is not a place where you need to be. And they don't like it vice versa. But it is the role of every mature Christian to do that. It is the role of us to embrace each other as parts of the body. That's one reason why small groups are so important to get engaged in. Because on a Sunday morning, you can hear my words, but I am not engaging with you. I am not sitting down having coffee with you, Jonathan, and hearing what's going on in your life. I have no idea what's going on with you. I'm just speaking at you. Sunday mornings are a time where the scripture gets delivered, but small groups is a time of reflection and personal growth in depth with fellow believers. That's the nucleus of your family. This is like the family reunion with all the aunts and uncles, some you like, some you don't, some you sneak out the back door for, some have sharp whiskers. Like, (laughs) this is what that is. Small groups is the nucleus of your family. And it's the place where you need to engage and invest so that we can help one another grow closer to God. So that we can walk through that unenjoyable love together. So I think I've fully hit on small groups and like pushing them. I wasn't asked to do that, but believe me, it is my heart. We have my small group actually, uh, this is probably wrong, but it's okay. My small group meets year round. I send out a text and it meets year round. If you can show up, you can show up. If you can't, you can't. And we just keep going. Because it's so important to me in my life to have a fellow body of believers to just engage with. Because sometimes they challenge me and sometimes I challenge them. And sometimes we just talk about what shoes are comfortable to wear at work. Right, Kevin? Like, it's important to have that godly community. So we never stop. We don't take breaks. People go on vacation. They're not there that week and it's okay. And sometimes it's just... Me and one other person, and sometimes it's a room full of people, and that's okay with me. So I'm not just plugging small groups. It's like how I live my life. It's so, so important. Let's get more unenjoyable. James 5.16 says this. 
Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. A prayer of a righteous person, when it is brought about, can accomplish much. This seems a little contradictory when you read this verse at first, right? We know that if you confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins, right? This is not going against that. But most sin is done in private. A matter of a heart can be actions sometimes, but normally it always boils down to your heart, right? We confess our sins and Christ forgives us. That's a known fact. But how many times have you confessed your sin and in the background the devil's going, yeah, but you're still that person. Yeah, but you still have that problem. No one knows about that. Like, and he just, he just starts to churn in the background. Yeah, God forgave you, but you're still terrible. Hey, this is what James is speaking to. And this is why you need a body of believers that you love and trust in a small nucleus. Because when you confess your sins one to another, you say, this is who I am. This is what I have walked through. This is what I am walking through. There is healing brought to your soul because what you have done in the darkness is now put into the light and the devil can't use it against you. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to stand on stage and confess to all of you every sin that I've had. Just not going to do that. But I will have coffee with Josh and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is, this is where my life is at. What, what can I do about this? Right? I'll sit down and talk with a Greg. And I put my life on the line to those people. I will, I will be transparent with my life to my small group. Because I believe in what this scripture says. I, yes, God is faithful for forgiving me my sins, but I also want to be healed from them. I want to be moved out of a place where the devil can use it against me. Well, if you don't dislike me enough already, why unenjoyable love? Why does God do it? Why does he put us in a place of uncomfortableness? Why does he, why does he have to do it that way? Can't he just tell us? Well, he tried in the Old Testament to just tell people how to live. It didn't work well. You know what they did? One generation loved him, the next generation hated him, the next generation loved him, the next generation hated him, and it was a vicious cycle. And God has engaged with us on a deeper, personal level. The rules that were once just written on stone are now written within our hearts. And God will tweak you. It's no longer just a rule, one, to be followed. If you do all these right things, you're right. Right? It's not just how you do them, it's why you do them. And God has chosen to put a spirit within us and start to change us from the inside out and make us more into his image so that the love between us can grow. I don't think there's anything that ties together God's love and why he does what he does better than John 15. And it says this, I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and prunes. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. See, in life, we will often stop where we're good at something. We just stop. Hey, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. 
I'm going to just, I'm going to chill here. But God knows what he created you for. God knows the direction and the path and the plan that he has for you. And left to your own devices, you'll probably stop short of that. So God puts us through unenjoyable love because he wants you to be all that you can be. See, we were designed to bear fruit as Christians. We were designed to engage with this world and show God's love to it. That's why when we get saved, we don't just get teleported to heaven. We have a job to do here, and that's to reflect his love to the masses and to reflect who he is to the masses. And so God begins to work in our heart and turn and churn within us and make us uncomfortable and, un- and have this unenjoyable love with us because he is driving us to a place where we bear the most fruit. We become all that he has for us to become. So the good news is, is we're going to get there. We will be become all that he has for us to become. The bad news is, is that's about a second before you die. There is always going to be a progression in your life. I remember as a young kid going to church thinking, man, I really, I, I want to know more about God. If I just got to the point where I could lead a small group, I would be there. And God began to work in my heart and prune me and grow me. And I had to set some things aside, like country music, which I really, really like. Um, don't condemn me. There's 50% of you that want to condemn me and 50% that are cheering. We're just not going to take that vote, okay? But for a time and a period in my life, it just, it was dragging me down. And I got to that point, I was like, wow, this is great. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm riding the road. And I'm like, you know, it would be kind of fun to like be part of leading a ministry. And this prayer began to rise up within me. God began to do this work in me again. I'm like, wait, we already did that. Let's not do that again. But he did another work in me. And then I began to help lead a ministry. Then I led a ministry. And then I started speaking on Sunday mornings. And my life just continually gets pushed to the next thing. And every time God pushes me, he does something unenjoyable to get me there. And that's just the path of Christianity. Because I don't look like Christ yet. I like to work with wood, but about as close as we are. What is it in your life that God is doing that's unenjoyable? See, let's not run from his unenjoyable love. Let's embrace his unenjoyable love. One of the things that I've learned is that, especially since having children, discipline goes far better when the one being disciplined engages in it. Right? It's much, much easier when they just submit. And not with a stubborn heart, because that doesn't get us anywhere. We just end up back there in a week. But with a repentant heart. So what does it look like today to approach God with a submissive heart to his unenjoyable love? To embrace his pruning in your life? Now, there's, I'm just going to throw out a little bit of good news. Not all of his pruning is unenjoyable. Sometimes God is just pushing you towards a vision you've had. And that might be scary for you at the moment, probably why you're not there yet, but God is just pushing you towards it. There's not pruning that has to be done, not major things that have to be cut out of your life. All it takes you doing is going, yep, I'll do that. And stepping into it and you go, oh, that wasn't as bad as it 
I thought it was. Like, it felt unenjoyable. On one side, you step over the line, you're like, oh, that's, this is actually fun. So some of his pruning is just pushing you to a place where he wants you without pruning, without discipline, without having to have much life change. It's just a matter of deciding I'm going to embrace what he's telling me to do. Some, sometimes it's going to be really unenjoyable. There's things you've got to give up. There's places you can't go anymore. There's things you can't do. There's people you can't see anymore. Would you embrace God's unenjoyable love this morning? So I just want to take a minute for playing, playing some, whatever that is, music. Um, and just be quiet. And approach your father, knowing that because he is your father, he is willing to do whatever it takes to bring you to the place that is best for you, regardless of your feelings in the matter. So let's just take a moment to quiet our hearts. Father, as we close this service, we ask that your spirit would continue to prompt us, continue to deal with our hearts, Lord God. We embrace your unenjoyable love. We embrace your discipline and correction, Lord, because we are your children. Lord, we ask you to bring us to where you want us to be. We thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are a good, good father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it was good to be with you today. I am happy to see everybody's faces, and we will see you next week.